0: I'm Alex, you know, I'm Alex Del Ciro. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo And we have, we have just Jesse. Eddie. It's Eddie Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahe Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. Well, hello. Uh, I'm Alex Del Sordo. The intro there. Uh, we are here live at Montgomery Bell. And this is our second podcast live event. And I just want to say... Thanks to Coach Rich over here for helping us put this together. Thank you very much. Uh, really quick, I'm Alex Del Sordo. Behind me is CJ Bown, And 10 years ago, we started a little company called Finish Line Shell Repair out of Baltimore, Maryland. Started in a 4,000-square-foot shop, expanded to slightly bigger, around 22,000, and started really pushing repairs across the country. Somewhere around 2017, 2018, we decided we wanted to go a little bit further and got into boat refurbishments, uh, boat sales, and then pandemic hit. 2021 comes around and we find one of our partners, uh, John Titus at Pocock Racing Shells, and we decided that we wanted to promote the sport of rowing, and for the last couple of years now, that's been our focus, and tonight, we're continuing that trend, I have with me tonight Nick Lee Parker, he is the head coach of Columbia Lightweight Rowing. He started in a small little club in Ohio, back in college, and has moved his way to becoming the head coach of one of the most competitive lightweight programs in the country. Nick, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Next is uh, one of the youngest head coaches in all college sports, not just rowing, in America, this is Sam Pratt, head coach of the men and women's team at Adrian College.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So tonight we're talking about three things. Uh, number one, transitioning and what it takes to transition from high school to the collegiate level. Next, recruiting, which is a really big topic among parents, among young athletes, what it takes to be recruited at the D3 level, the Ivy League level, and other places. And then lastly, where we think, the three of us think, rowing is headed for the future. So my first question, I'm going to direct this to Nick here. So I'm a parent. I have three kids. We're not quite ready for college, only about eight years old. So I got some time. But when I was recruited for college in my transition, I was shell-shocked transitioning from the high school level, rowing five times a week, six times a week, to then being at the collegiate level, Walk me through those first couple of weeks at Columbia, what it's like to row for you.
2: So our guys arrive, and we've already talked to them months out in advance about what to expect. So when they walk in, it's not that they're, hey, learning this information for the first time. We've actually gone through it, and they know what's coming at them. And what's coming at them is if you're not training 12 to 15 hours a week, and you're not affected by that, like if you can't train 12 hours and be like, okay, I'm ready to go again, you haven't prepared. Ooh, hold that on, is hold the on. <laughs> Twelve hours—that's a lot. That's where we start. Oh, okay, all right. So most of them are actually coming in ready to do more than that. And when you, like, what's the timeline? When does that start? Is this August, September? Uh, we start school in September, but we talk about starting to prepare in July. So you finish Youth Nationals or you finish your last race of the season, and we want you to take some time off, be yourself, go play some sports, take some time with family, because you're getting ready to make another big transition, which is like the transition to college, which is stressful and hard enough as it is. So get some time where you're just having some fun. But once July 4th is over, you're preparing. You are getting ready for that kind of workload, and you have to be thoughtful about it. So there is a timeline to it, but we also kind of walk everyone through it, and here's how much of different kind of intensity work you mm-hmm. need to be doing in order to be ready for that. How about, how about
0: at the Division Three? I mean, Adrian College, Division Three rowing. How much different is that to what Nick just said?
1: I mean, it's, it's similar and there's differences. I mean, so obviously there's still going to be a, a little bit of a step up um, of, you know, from the high school level. You know, we're still doing, you know, six days a week. You know, we're adding in some extra lifts, adding in some extra ergs, that kind of stuff. But, you know, typically for us, we tend to, you know, sort of ease freshmen into it a little more, you know, during the first couple of weeks, we probably won't have them do the, the lifts on top of what we're doing as well, you know, we won't have them do the extra erg, just so they can get used to the workload of college, used to what it's like, you know, for some kids living away from home for the first time, um, you know, dorm life, college life, you know, being in charge of your own schedule, all that kind of stuff, because there is a transition there, and I think so training on top is difficult.
0: So, I don't know what year it was when IRA-level schools got rid of freshman rowing.
2: Yeah, the 2013 season was the very first season.
0: I think that is the worst thing they could have ever done, right? Because I think 18-year-old I think men or women really do need to experience a freshman
2: lifestyle. Do they get that at Columbia? Without You don't get that, but you do get other things that are similar, you get a bond in with the team, and we had to restructure how we work the team so that would work. So we get groups of people together, and we have like teams. It's like when we load the trailer, we're like, "Ah, team one and two, you guys are loading the trailer," and they know who that is. They have a group of people to go to. It is different. Mm-hmm. It, it is really different. Um, but it's really make it's made it more important to develop a really good team culture and have fun with the entire team because you don't get that really closeness. We do find that you get a lot of great interaction once boats are selected later on in the spring and the freshmen having access to a junior or senior who knows what they're doing. And especially if you're a really talented freshman, you're sitting here going, okay, this guy's gone to U23 Worlds and you're getting to learn from him in Mm -hmm. your first year. So you get a different experience and it's not worse. It's not better. It's very much different.
0: Have uh, Have you experienced as a coach someone who just wasn't ready? for college and what did you do about that did you help him or her out
1: i mean there's there's always going to be some people who you know weren't necessarily expecting what they got from college um i do think you know you can help a lot of those people through it if their heart really isn't in it then it's not in it and they're not going to do it but you know if they want to improve if they want to you know be a part of the team anyway you can certainly ease them into it a little more you can spend some more time on getting them ready for it and you know i think you know, I disagree with you on, on freshman rowing being removed as being the worst thing that could have been done. You know, I, I think, um, you know, we have a lot of kids come in asking us, um, oh, am I going to have to row with freshmen when I come in? They want to come in and they want to be competitive immediately. They want to be able to show, I can hang with the big dogs and seniors and juniors, you know? And I think, you know, certainly I think kids can get really frustrated when they're, not with the the main group, but also you still do get novice events. You know, you still do put out novice fours and novice eights in the fall.
2: So I think the big problem I keep running into where I keep coming back to this concern about it is that the pool of athletes we're getting in collegiate sports, especially for men's rowing, without the walk-on novice freshman rowing experience is different. And it's not always better. And we're missing out on some great athletes who would add a lot to our sport because we don't have it. Flip side, we couldn't do that at Columbia with our roster, with all of the other limitations. Having a freshman team for us was very, very difficult. But it seems like we're missing the mark there, Like there's more to actually to be done. I hear what you're saying, but some of those rowers, they really need that year in order to develop. And if they don't get some of those experiences, they may not be able to get where to where they would be their junior or senior year because they didn't get the right development track. That's the hard part we have to do now, is we're trying to fit everybody into one team and make sure we're providing everything for every rower, and it's just not possible. Recruiting is a little bit
0: different best. for you versus Adrian. I would imagine you do some, you want walk-ons at Adrian College, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we do it to some degree. You know, the the model, I think, at D3s in recent years has moved a lot more around recruited athletes than it has walk-ons in the past, but... Um, you know walk-ons still are a thing and certainly with walk-ons we treat them a little differently from the varsity team you know Mm. they would have the fall to get accustomed to what's going on they have the fall to row together and learn to row but if you're a freshman and we've recruited you out of high school the expectation is you come in and you're able to hang with the varsity you know maybe not be the best guy there immediately because we're not expecting you know you to come in and be a record breaker (laughs) of the the school immediately but um you know come in and be able to train with them and you know learn from them and, and sort of hang with the best guys on the team
0: all right, so you know, I had a mom ask me last time we did this, um, student athlete, student first, athlete second. I had someone on stage say, well, no, they're like, yes, they're students, but they're athletes. They spend, that's their focus. So. Students. Students first.
2: Students first. School, especially at our institution, school's tough. Like, it's... Now, is
0: that a... a, Okay, hold on. So, is that because there's parents in the room, and there's kids here, and you're like, you know, and it's being recorded, by the way, Everybody,
2: you can ask the team. They will say, your priorities are school, rowing, and anything else you want to do with your time. And you're going to have semesters where you have school done, rowing done, and you have free time. And then you're going to have semesters where you have school, rowing, and you don't have any free time. Your junior year, that's pretty much what everybody's junior year of college is, school, rowing and every once in a while you're like oh my gosh i went out and got to hang out with my friends till like 8 p.m and then i went home to study (laughs) yeah right that's that's junior year for a lot of our athletes but you can ask them and they'll tell you the same thing test me
0: i i am going to test you uh so sam when you you graduated college only a couple years ago uh does adrian follow that i mean do you feel that way as well
1: yeah i mean i think that's like you know I think there's some institutions that are different, but certainly at the D3 level, it's, you're, the idea is you're meant to be a student athlete. You know, you're a student first, you're an athlete second. You know, one of the big things I say to, say to my kids on, on week one, and I reemphasize it throughout the year, is there's no such thing as a class and rowing conflict. If the class conflicts with rowing, you go to the class and we'll figure out the rowing later.
0: I went to the wrong school, because <laughs> like, it was rowing first, always. class second. Um, is there a cutoff for grades. Someone asked that to me the other day too. Like, if my student is getting a D
2: or a C, are they just not on that team until it's up? I'm not even joking with you. On the way here, I got a text message from a professor with whom I'm friends at Columbia about students on my team in his class and what was going on. And wow. it was a great day. was like, I'm really pleased with how this is going. They've been awesome to have in our class. Professors, coaches, everybody is there committed to these students, right? And then when you're, you're a student, you're a student athlete, we are committed to that. And there's a lot of conversation. And so you're going to find that everywhere you go. Like I, you're, it's Sorry. No, yeah. go. I, I, th-
1: I think the model is meant to be like, we're not just trying to make good rowers. We're trying to make good people. You know, that's, that's kind of what the point of education is. And, you know, if that's just being nothing but a rower and not doing anything else with your time, then why are you at college? Why would you not just go and row at a club somewhere?
2: The grades are important. I'm going to come back to this grades. You have to get grades because if the grades start slipping, like I could have got this text message the opposite way. And I would have been like, so uh, Johnny, uh, we'll see you next week because you have some stuff to get done. Like it's a real thing. Like if you can't perform in class, like we're going to push you out of practice.
0: When I was a coach in high school, I, uh, I was the opposite of that. I, <laughs> I, Cause I cared. I was so narrow minded, right? I was so focused on the varsity eight winning have you run into a situation where you had to tell the boat and the kid tell the boat, Hey, Johnny's, he's flunking right now. He can't row. Like, are you
2: willing to sacrifice a fast eight? What you're really asking is, am I going to win at all costs? Yes. Is that who I am? And I'm not. Because for the rest of your life, you're going to remember that I put someone in a terrible place, they failed out of a class in order to go to a race, then they couldn't come back and row the next year, then they're not graduating with their friends. I don't want to be that person for somebody else's life. That's, that's not who we're supposed to be as coaches. We're actually supposed to help you get through this. And if the guys aren't strong enough in order to have two or three practices without somebody in the boat, somebody else filling in, like, then we're not in a position to win anyway.
0: Sure. Uh, Sam what's your biggest piece of advice for some of the juniors out here seniors that are going to be getting into college here in the next say six seven months
1: I mean I think I think the biggest thing is be proactive and be communicative you know I, I think you know as college coaches we're talking to a lot of potential recruits you know we're talking to a lot of people at any one time and if you're the kid who is checking their emails once every six months who's you know not reaching out ever you know you're the kid who slips through the cracks and who you know we assume is not interested whereas if you're the kid who as soon as we send you an email you're right back at it and you're you're responding or you're reaching out first even um, you know then the message we get loud and clear is you're interested in coming here therefore we're interested in you coming here you know we we want you to be at somewhere that you'll enjoy and clearly that's here if you're keen on responding to us and keen on on being an active part of this you know the, the worst thing for a college coach is when you're having a recruit with a conversation, uh, a conversation with a recruit, sorry, and uh, and they're just not participating in it. And you're having to lead the conversation along every step of the way because the sense you get is they don't really want to be
0: So that's transitioning to recruiting. So, Nick, I ask this, I, I sit down with a lot of college coaches and they seem to just get away from this response. You know where I'm going right now. I, I know. So, so, so many parents And so many athletes, they want to know, what are the scores they need to hit to get to college, to be recruited by a
2: top-level program or a second- or third-tier program? So I'll speak for what I know, which is super competitive, lightweight programs. And that is, if you have not broken 630, it's going to be difficult to be recruited. Unless you are like the magic person who's like, I weigh 143 pounds and I went 632, 633. You're a very special diamond in the rough and you actually have a lot more cachet than you might believe.
0: How much does the ERG matter in the whole scope
2: of recruiting? It's significant. It gives us a really good window into the kind of work that you can perform. It doesn't tell us about everything else. A lot of This is true. A lot of rowers can break 630. Pretty much everybody, if you were to commit to it, you can get there, Mm. right? But then there's everything else. So when we look at the ERG score, it's like, okay, now you've passed this lens. Now we're going to start getting into know a lot more about you and make sure, are you going to be a good fit with our team, the school? So all those other things add up to be much more significant than the ERG. But this is like a, it's like a window. You have to clear it in order to get into the other conversation. I see you smiling over here,
1: go ahead. I mean, it's almost, it's for the same reason, but almost the opposite thing for us, where, you know, you say, um, you know, the erg is important because it gives a window into what they can do, and, um, you know, for us, um, and and what you said was, you know, almost anyone can break 6.30, and so for us, as a D3 college, we're looking for potential, and so it's more important that a guy is going to fit with the culture and is going to come in and be really driven and push the team on and, and be a part of that culture because we can teach them to go fast, you know. So we can this is,
2: fast. you're not wrong, but here's what I would. Th- I'm going to talk to 50 prospects who can go that fast, but I'm, we're only bringing in eight to ten. So, what separates you out from the others who are hitting the numbers, getting the performance standards, and doing the work?
1: And again, kind of the difference with D3, you know, we don't have those slots per se. You know, they're they're coming in on their own merit to some degree. You know, we can lean a little bit, but we're not going to provide you know, a scholarship. We're not going to say we need this kid. We're going to say this is a great kid. We've been talking to them for a while. They'd fit really well here. And, you know, the rest is kind of up to them and what they've done through through high school.
0: I, I, are there other barometers? Because, I, you know, we, we all have seen this, right? So many kids get nervous about the 2K. Hell, I get nervous about the 2K. Maybe I don't perform very well in a 2K. Are there
2: other things, other measures that you look for in an athlete? Most of the time, if if you can show me a lot of results from a pair, a double, a single, and you are consistently oh, let's get into that. that. Hold on, let's get into that I've because been, there's so then many I can programs. Go with there.
0: There's so many programs that don't do those kind of things, right? Well,
2: th- that is a they I mean, only have the
0: eight, maybe the four. But they're, they're restricted because of the size.
2: Yeah, you're right. So we can, but we're trying to find a window where everybody from a different type of program can get the work done, do the compete at a level where they can show that they can compete at this level.
0: How about multiple sport athletes? Love right. it. Love it?
1: Don't really care about it that much. <laughs> you you don't know, care. I care that they're a rower. You know, <laughs> if, if they play another sport, that's great for them. And if they want to play that sport, that's fine. But I care that they row and that they do well at
0: rowing. How about the kid who really wants to go to Columbia or really wants to go to Adrian and will do anything it takes but 650? Does that matter? Because they really love Columbia. Sorry. Sorry, huh? Okay, hold on,
2: but see, if if I said, yeah, I'm going to take you, Timmy, sure, you come in, you're going to be last on every metric we make, you're not going to have a good experience, you're not going to get voted, you're not going to get the coaching you deserve, you're not actually going to have what you would be coming here for, versus you can get into a program where you're going to get great coaching, you're going to be at the level, they're going to help you develop into probably a pretty good rower. It's about where we're starting from in our group of athletes. And it's not meant to say that any other group is better or worse. It's saying this is where we're starting from. And from this group, we know that we can get a group of guys that can win a national championship. And so we have to focus on the guys who are in that area.
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, it's uh, it's less of an issue. You know, we wouldn't say it's a deal breaker, but what we would say is um, you're going to get faster when you arrive you know, like, no matter what, if you're coming into college from high school, you know, we tend to predict you're going to improve by, like, 8 to 15 seconds on your 2k your freshman year, you know, so if a guy's coming in on six fi- on 650 to a D3 program, um, you know, that, that puts you in the 640s or even under 640 by the end of your freshman year, like, is that going to put you straight in the varsity 8? No, but is it going to put you in a competitive spot in the squad where you can actually be valuable? Yeah, like, you know, at the top end of D3, of D3 rowing, which is, you know, where we want to be, you know, yes, we're looking for crews that are, you know, pulling well deep into the 620s and under 620. But, you know, the guys who can pull 630 and really push those guys who are in the 620s and make them work for it, those are the guys who make the program fast, you know.
2: Here's the problem where we get into talking about the ERG scores is they often happen in your senior year of high school. Mm. When you're already deep into the recruiting conversation, or sometimes it has passed you up, right? You're thinking about early decision deadlines, you're something coming up, but you haven't actually hit those performance standards because, right, for males, they physiologically mature a couple years later than women, right? So they're actually not hitting their standard, like what, what they are capable of until they're in their senior year of high school. Or sometimes we have rowers who take a complete gap year and they go from 640. We had a guy. Oliver Ingram, 647, and the first time we tried to recruit him, we were like, you can't make it. Took a year off, dropped to 627, came, won the IRA in the varsity. This was a guy who, just to your point, like the kind of person, you're 650, I love it, I love it, I want to do it. Sometimes you just need more time, and that is okay too. So I think when we get into that, you hear coaches talking about performance standards, we're talking about the standards that the athletes are coming in at. And... For males especially, that can be tricky because you do so much improvement in your senior year of high school when you're just hitting that, you're turning into an adult. Sam, you were raised
0: in England. You came over here, found Wesley in college, right? Mm -hmm. Rode all four years. I'm seeing a lot more international recruiting. I'm hearing it all the time. What is that doing to American rowers? What is that doing to D1, D2, D3 programs here in your experience?
1: I mean, so obviously most of my experience is with D3 rowing. And, you know, what we notice is the standard mm-hmm. of Division three rowing has risen dramatically over the last 10 years. I mean, like, huge, huge amounts. Like, you know, once upon a time, you would never see any D3 crew beat any D1 crew, no matter the level. You know, now you're regularly seeing the top D3 crews are able to beat, you know, the lower-end D1 crews or even able to qualify for the open IRAs on occasion, you know, they can be competitive at a much higher level. The times are much faster. You know, even in my four years at Wesleyan, you know, when I arrived, the fastest guy on the team pulled a six nineteen. When I left, the three fast, uh, four fastest guys pulled sub six ten. You know, that's a huge improvement in four years of in
0: quality of rower as well, yeah, right?
1: Exactly. And so, where I really see it coming from is the biggest D one schools, the ones at the very top, especially in the heavyweight side, are recruiting tons and tons of international athletes. You know, you look at crews like Yale, and they have, like, two Americans in the crew. Um, and so what that does is it means rowers from the U.S. who were once, you know, top-level D1 recruits are now pushed down one rung. You know, they're pushed down to being, you know, maybe lower-end D1 recruits or top-end D3 recruits. And so you start seeing a lot of them find D3 rowing, and as a result, the D3 category gets a lot more competitive and becomes a much more viable place for rowers who want to be really competitive.
2: I see you thinking over there, Nick. You're trying to figure out what you want to say. Well, I'm thinking that there's also an opportunity for other collegiate programs to do a better job of recruiting those athletes and developing them a little bit better. And I think that's one of the things I'd like to see happen in the sport is like if there is more international recruiting, there's also more opportunity to take some of the best American recruits, spread them to different programs, and if we can invest in those programs and help coaches develop those better we might see the same thing. And then that could create more parity. And I think it would be great to see different programs winning the IRA, getting into the grand well,
0: we see the same three over and over again, right? Yeah. Well, I want to get back to recruiting. So um, let's pretend I'm a junior. What advice do you have for me to try to get into college? What should I, my parents, what should we be looking for doing to be noticed, to get in there? Now, look, I grew up in South Jersey. Let me state this. I, in a microcosm, this big, I only knew like four colleges, right? And my coach that I had, great coach, he gave me like three options, said, I think you should go here. I think I didn't have a cell phone. Cell phones didn't really exist back then. So I think technology has improved the widespread. We know more colleges. But what do you say to that kid who's getting ready to go out there? Do you want him to be calling her to be calling you proactive? Uh, What should they be sending you?
1: I mean, the the number one thing, you know, right off the bat, if, if it hasn't been done already, is, you know, the biggest tool, you said you had a narrow range, the biggest way you improve that is sites like Be Recruited, sites like NCSA, you know, those sites that just give you a profile where every collegiate coach in the country can see you. And then the big thing on it, and we see this all the time on, on these places, is kids who have no information on their profile. They have their name, they have their high school and they have not a single athletic measure on there. They don't have their 2K, they don't have a 500, they don't have a 10K. Nothing that we can look at and go, oh, they do this in terms of rowing. We just know the kid's name and where they go to school. That doesn't help us at all. So, you know, the more information you can provide, you know, I get two people who, you know, on paper are exactly the same. But one of them tells me, oh, and I pulled this 2K and I was in this boat last spring. And the other one just sends me a blank profile. I'm going to talk to the one who sent me information because they're serious about rowing.
2: And it needs to be put down your accurate information and don't be ashamed of it. Own it because that actually gives us an opportunity to have a real conversation. And then we might get to know you. And then we might learn a little bit more about here are the circumstances. Here's what's going on. And then when we see a big improvement in a PR, it actually means a lot more. So getting out there early and creating this information, sharing it with coaches, but sharing it early, not with the expectation of, okay, I'm entering my junior year of high school like I expect a one-hour phone call. That, that's not realistic. But what is realistic is to say, hey, I'm really interested in your school. And just get your name out there and put your information down. Here's what I pull now. So when you write back in December after you've had your, your you know, a fall of training and you're crushing it and getting new PRs, we want to know that. That is a sign, okay, you're really invested in the sport. You're committed to improving because you don't just improve a 2K randomly. Like you have to work for it. You have to train for it. You have to be consistent in what you're doing. So setting yourself up early so that your, your, your rate of improvement is a part of the conversation. And it's not something we have to pull out from you. Like Oh, well, I used to go this fast and now I go this fast. If we already know it, it helps us think about, okay, well, where are you going to go now? And that's a better way to have a conversation with any coach.
1: And, like, after that first conversation, you know, I say that the biggest thing you can do is try and set up a visit as soon as possible. You know, the sooner you see the school, the better off you're going to be. Because, number one, you get a chance to yeah. see, see where you're going. And, number two, you get to actually talk to us face-to-face. It's and you might find out now. that you hate it. Yeah.
2: Like, you might walk onto a campus and be like, this is not this place for me. This is not it's not my vibe. It's not my thing. I like the guys on the team, but it's the school's not me for me. Or you could go the other way. I love the school. Team, not my vibe, and you want to find that out as early as possible. One of the things I know we are doing and I know other coaches are doing is saying, being a little bit more open about saying if you want to take an unofficial visit and you have that opportunity with schools or colleges that are around you, go watch us practice in the spring. Hey, I know I'm going to be in your area. I want to come and, like, watch a practice. Okay, like, I don't mind having anybody. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. Right, so if, it's, if it are, there are schools that are local to you or if you're doing a college tour and you can set it up and you can message the coaches ahead of time, the easiest thing for you to do with the coaches, I'm going to be at your school on April 4th. I'd love to ride in the launch. Is that possible? And most coaches will be like, sure. Right? That's the easiest way for us to get to know you. You get the vibe of the team. You get a little bit to know a little bit more about the team from the team because you're not just going to talk to the coach. You will often get to talk to the athletes before or after practice.
0: So further on that, we were talking about this before we started, more about the interview process. So you said it, I think you even said it, you're like, I I don't want a jerk, right? (laughs) I want someone who speaks clearly and confidently and is polite to their mother. (laughs) Like, what is that interview process like?
2: Um, We ask a lot of questions. Can you give me some? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now that you put me on the spot. (laughs) Um, Look, we want to know, tell me about, like, I'll be like, tell me about your dog. I want to know how you talk about your dog. If you talk about your dog, like, oh, I love my dog. I like doing this, blah, blah, blah. You will hear that. Oh, like, this person genuinely cares. But then we will have conversations. We'll be like, yeah, whatever, the dog. I'll be like, I feel like you may be a person that looks at the dog and realizes, oh, I didn't feed it tonight. It'll be okay.
3: Mm.
2: That, is a, like, that is a big warning sign because you can't do that. Like, yeah. that is not what you can do as part of a team. If you want to be a competitive member of a team, you want to win, you've got to be dialed into it. Mm. How about the interview process at Adrian?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's similar. I, I I tend to almost ask less questions. I'll sort of ask like, you know, four or five, like get to know you questions and then say, I want to hear what you want to know. Like, what, what do you want to know from me? Like in the first conversation, at least, you know, later down the line, you know, we'll have more conversations. But in the first interview, you know, the they want to know what program we are, especially for us where we're a very new program. Mm-hmm. You know, we were founded, what, four years ago, you know, They don't necessarily know what we're about or what we're doing. So, and there are a lot of questions that high school kids have that they never find out anywhere else except from coaches.
2: The other important part of that is to, and anytime we get to sit down and have one of these conversations, one of my main things is I want to talk to a prospect like they're an adult because they are, this is, they are preparing to make an adult decision. Here's where I want to go. Here's what I'm interested in studying. You're an adult. And so it's really important for me to also sit down and say, hey, I want to get to know you, just like I would. Do you want to be like, you know, my friend and coaches and athletes? It's not a friendship per se, but it is an important relationship. And we're talking about this, that it's one of the most consistent relationships you're going to have for four years while you're in college. Like you will know your coach more than you know any of your professors or any of your other advisors, and you're going to be back and forth. And so you want to make sure that there is a good working relationship there that i can push you i can challenge you you can do the same like we want to get better and so we need to be able to have that dialogue so i, you know, I
0: said earlier i have three kids and i like this is so funny maybe some parents out there can agree with me at 18 i don't think you're an adult at all <laughs> so like i want to control that that movement i could i can totally understand it i could totally understand how parents or even kids they're just not ready to make such a big decision they get really bogged down by it. they get nervous about it
1: but I, 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 I think at the same time, though, you know, yes, they're still young. But on the other hand, next year they're going to go to college, and they're not going to have parents there to tell them what to do. They're not going to have, you know, a set structure of classes and whatever. They're not going to be able to go home after the end of the day in most cases. You know, there's rare exceptions, but um, you know, they're going to be living on their own on a campus with these people. You know, so it's important that they're they're going somewhere that they feel comfortable first and foremost, and that they can work first and
0: foremost. How much are the parents involved in the interview process in that that very beginning, getting to know the kid and the
2: athlete? Usually not in the very, very beginning, but usually by the end, we would like to have that mom or dad talk to them, Um, make sure that they also know who we are as coaches, right? So like one of my things when I talk to parents is like, you know, if John says, yeah, coach really isn't pushing me that hard anymore, that should be a warning sign to you, right? That's not like a, oh, it must be like doing everything right. No, 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 must be doing some things wrong. So is John disengaged? What's going on? So we have a conversation with the parents so they can understand a bit about how we work, that pushing and challenging is part of our culture, is part of what we do. How about uh, having
0: their coaches involved in the process? I mean, are you looking for some high school coaches to come out there and
2: say, man, you really need to take a look at this kid? Okay, if a high school coach comes, I'm going to jump on this one, but then... I want, If a high school coach calls and says, you need to take a look at this kid, that high school coach is putting their credibility on the line with that conversation. And so I will go take a look at it. Mm. Because if the kid then I'm like, what are we talking about? This, this person is not going to be able to perform within our program standards. That's an important conversation for me to have with the coach. So, yes, I like that because most of the time when that happens, coaches call. This is a guy you should really take a look at. Okay. And most of the time they're right, but that's important. So when coaches get involved, it's because like, there's a specific reason.
1: Yeah. And I, I don't think it happens that often that a, a high school coach comes to It doesn't you, at all. A high school coach comes to you and says, you need to take a look at this kid. It happens more often the other way around where you're not quite sure on the kid, where you're not sure. Maybe, maybe you Agreed. like the score they're pulling. Maybe you think they'd fit in pretty well but just something about them you're not quite sure. And so you go to that coach and you say, what's he like at practice? You know, like, you know, how does he behave with the team? What's he like for the culture? You know, that's, that's something that you can't get from the from the kid or from the parents because obviously they, the parents think the world of their kid and they're going to tell you that. And the kid thinks that they're doing great.
0: So I want to move into the future of rowing. Now, it's a broad statement, right? But so, like, where I sit right now, my, my dream, my goal is to get every single person in a boat. Like, I just I want more and more of it. Um, what are you seeing in Manhattan? What are you seeing in New York? There's a lot going on in in New York, there's a lot happening. What are you seeing, like, at the younger levels? Because you have to be in the pulse of rowing in New York.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just talking with Charlie, the VP of rowing there, the other night, um, about some of the program they're doing at Row New York. And they are getting into the schools and they are finding more ways to recruit not just students in New York, but students who can be great rowers. And they're really thinking about how do we find people that they can serve? Right? So, in the How's a Rowing Program, this is what I think, how do we find people who want to be great rowers who have like some of the athleticism and we want to teach everybody how to row, but we can best serve like rowing coaches, rowing programs. We can best serve the people who want to be great rowers and are built for it. It doesn't mean we don't want to include everyone, but really making that a focus and trying to target it more. That's some of the changes I see happening around New York. Like let's recruit better athletes. Let's get people who really want to play basketball in one season and they can row in another one because um, they're just better set up for it.
0: That's really hard to do. It is really Rowing hard. is, like, lame. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a great sport. It's changed my life, but we a lot of people still see it lame. Now, like, in England, all I can think about is Henley and the Oxford-Cambridge race, and, like, I just think rowing is probably just the coolest sport in Great Britain and England. Am I, am I wrong? Am I right?
1: I mean, I think you were wrong until 2012, and then... Britain won a whole bunch of medals in rowing and then, you know, suddenly it becomes a much cooler thing. Um, but, I mean, I think I think a big thing in England that's different from here is I think, you know, at the, certainly at the top level in high schools in England, they train like D1 colleges train over here, you know, and you don't see that to quite the same degree at many high schools over here. But it's it's widespread in England, you know. I can think of 15, 20 high schools that are training at that level over there. Um, and you know, that, that's why they're getting recruited to the top, you know, D1 colleges over here is because they've come in already having done that training level and being that level of fitness and ready to go.
0: How do you get the basketball players? Like, I, I would love to know Rich over here. How, how do you get the basketball player here to Uh
2: You got to get them out there on the water and just to experience it. You got to find a way to get somebody in a boat and figure out what it's like. And for some of them, they're going to be like, actually, this is great. And for others, they're going to say, this is not for me. And that's okay. You're going to have a bunch of misses. But finding a way to provide an opportunity for them to get in a boat, even if it's a barge, something, you know, and to try to do it at a younger age, seventh and eighth grade, like take a four-week rowing course. Get out there and just get some exposure, and let's provide those opportunities to get involved.
0: How did you find it when you were in England?
1: Competitive. Um, You know, I, I... Basically, I went out, I was a tennis player when I I started rowing, before I started rowing and and basically, you know, the head of rowing just saw me and went, he's big, I want him and then just hounded me about it, um, you know, for for weeks until I tried it and then I got on the water once and I loved it, you know, and I was like, this is mine now, like I'm doing this.
0: So I want you to tell a story about your first week at Ohio State because I think that is such a perfect story of like finding
2: rowing and, and like jumping feet first. Yeah, so um, I walked onto this club team, and there was like 140 guys trying out. And so they decided, you know, we're going to make this really tough because we need some guys to quit. We can't coach 140 guys. And so we did a 2K. And so we're getting ready to do this 2K. I barely know what I'm doing. I've just started to row. And there's an alum who's been hanging around the boathouse doing some training or whatever. And he's like, oh, I'll do this 2K with you guys. And he sits down right next to me. And what I don't know at the time is that this alum is Brian Volpenheim. Now, hold on, hold on now. Brian Volpenheim, raise your hand if you know who that is. (laughs) Wow.
0: One person, right? (laughs) So, Brian Volpenheim. Don't don't listen to this, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's going to listen. Sorry, man, you're not that popular. Uh, He is the gold medal 2004 stroke seat of the Olympic Gate. In 2000, when you were there, right? You were there in 01. 01, yeah. So in 2000, he got doored at the Olympics, got, yeah, fifth, got fifth, and that was a terrible thing.
2: After winning three world championships. <laughs> and then, in then a he row. won
0: two more, I think, world championships after yeah. that, and then got silver in 2008. Yeah. So one of the most decorated American rowers, and none of you know who he is. That tells a lot about our sport, by the way.
2: But go ahead, finish your story, because I love it. So, Brian. You know, Brian has this aesthetic. And if you guys ever have the fortune to meet Brian, I love how he carries himself. He is what I call a freezer head. Nothing affects him, right? Chill, cool, boom. He's there. He sits down and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know he's an Olympian. I'm just like, ah, okay, there's like some alum who's like- he's washed up. Alum, yeah. <laughs> you know, he had to say, you know, like, all right, so I'm just going to go as fast as him. And I'll, it'll be fine. Like, I'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, so, guys, this didn't even last for 500 meters. I mean, I, mean, I was cooked 250, 300 meters in. And, what was the split, by and, the way? Oh, it takes off at, like, 129, 130. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I'm, like, getting into it. I'm, like, hit 100 meters, 130, no problems. 200 meters, there's going to be a problem. 300, I'm out. I mean, like, I flied and died hard. I just didn't know... What I was doing, um, and so then, but then even more demoralizing is, you know, Brian pulls his five fifty nine or or whatever it was, and has recovered in order to like cox me through the last thirty or forty <laughs> seconds of my embarrassing very first two k. Um, but that also told me a lot about who Brian was in that moment. Like he was like there, yeah, come on, man, like get after it. He was so encouraging, and that is actually the part of the story that I can't forget. That the part that sticks with me the most is here was this incredibly decorated rower and he did this with us and i was pulling a horrible score and yet he was cheering me on like i was trying to break six so i wouldn't compare him to lebron james but i mean he's like the james harden of
0: rowing right like he really is i mean he's very talented uh and i know there's a gentleman in here who would probably argue with me all night long i can hear him laughing but he is a very talented rower and none of you know who he is and I think that's the secret sauce that we need. we to need to build these athletes up to be celebrities, to be heroes. Uh, this weekend, you guys can check it out on Instagram. This gentleman, uh, 19 or 18, going to Cornell, won our big erg race. And we uh, built a carbon fiber trident as the trophy. Coolest thing. And when he won, he raised his hands like this and a sea of 400 people, cheered for him the kid's a celebrity
2: i saw the pictures it's pretty awesome,
0: <laughs> pretty awesome right i mean my gosh we need to celebrate more of that um and i i would love to hear if you had a better story than brian volbenheim beating you
1: um i mean you've, heard, heard, you've, you've, you've heard mine you know my first ever rowing session I'm, I'm sure more people probably have heard at least heard his voice um martin cross uh, again
0: does anybody know who martin cross is nope Crickets. Mart-
1: Martin Cross these days is the voice of rowing. He does the commentary on every rowing race, every international race. Henley. Also know, very decorated. And back in the day, yeah, he was he was he he won gold um, in Redgrave's first Olympics, Redgrave being the most decorated. It was 84
0: Olympic, or 88,
1: 84, I think. 84. 84 in, uh, I forget what it was. It was in the Cox 4. Um, and uh, Martin Cross was a history teacher at my school when when I was there. Didn't, didn't really do anything to do with rowing. Um, you know, he just came down and, like, put a single in the water here and there and blew all our eights out of the water. Um, and, uh, and he coached my first ever session of rowing. You know, my first strokes on the water were Martin Cross coaching me and having me do a racing start in my first ever practice. And
0: then you get next to Brian Volmenheim, crushes your soul. Yeah. But actually, you didn't crush it. You, didn't, you broke seven, I
1: think? I did not. No. It was <laughs> 7.04. I, okay. It is
2: seared into my memory. It was rough.
0: So before we get into the q and I, I was told last time we did this, like, you got to ask more about training. And I just want to know, what are your favorite workouts at, at, at uh, Columbia? What are some, some things that you do on the water, on the erg that you just absolutely love and the kids love? Or maybe not love.
2: Love low rate power. Low rate power with a bungee, low rate power with two bungees, low rate power with three bungees. Low rate power where you're going really hard, really low. And then I say, and hey, now you gotta go up to thirty for a minute, but really light. So you're cruising, it's very, very relaxing, but you're up at thirty with three bungees. And then as hard as you can go at like fourteen. Love it.
0: Fourteen, all eight. Twelve is better. Oh yeah. Okay. Bunch but, of lightweight. I ways. mean, you know, it
2: depends.
1: Sure. How about but, you? Um I'm I'm a big fan, my rowers are not, on the erg of, of uh, a workout I call the 90-60-30, it's 45 minutes, you do 90 seconds, steady state, 60 seconds, at rate 26, at, at like 5k, 6k base, and then 30 seconds as hard as you can, and you just repeat that for 45 minutes, and my rowers are not a fan of it, you know, often I do that mixed with this circuit that we do regularly, and they also really hate the circuit as well, so kind of mix those together and make sure they have a bad day (laughs) you know we're going to be going out
0: later tonight and we'll be talking about volume all night long unfortunately they don't fortunately for them they don't need to hear this uh gentlemen before we get into Q&A thank you very much for being here this is wonderful Nick Lee Parker and uh Sam Pratt thank you so much for being here everybody round of applause please for these guys uh so CJ's floating around somewhere. Um, this is a Q&A session. So if there are any questions that you have for these coaches, for me, now's the time. We have a couple minutes dedicated to this. And then after, if you want to meet these coaches and come on up, you have a chance to talk to them.
3: So perfect. Having a, having a lightweight coach here, what do you think of U.S. rowing basically eliminating – all lightweight races in most regards. I was waiting for this.
2: I, I also knew this was coming. Um, one, it's not going to change. So what can we do going forward? I think that's, that's where I start. Like, there's, and, and when it comes down to it, we talk about, we care about the student first and then the athlete second. And if there is a real concern that we can't safely do youth lightweight rowing, then we shouldn't do it. And I think that's where these people are coming from, that there's, there's a concern that it can't be done safely. And I'm okay with that. If they believe that, that's fine. What I do think, though, is that it actually creates an opportunity for collegiate lightweight programs to step up and be more involved and try to expand, which is what we are trying to do amongst the lightweight coaches. We want to be advocates for our sport. We think there's something really valuable about that lightweight rowing experience. We see that is very similar to the rowing experience other athletes get in the boathouse but it's not the same there is something different when on Tuesday before a race you're planning out your entire swing so that you are safely hitting your weight at 5 p.m. on Friday and you are ready to go on Saturday to knock it out of the park it is complete dedication you can't make a slip up in that moment and I think there's a greater place for that in collegiate lightweight rowing than maybe in some aspects of youth rowing I would love to see everything kind of continue to exist but from here, I'm all about where do we go forward and how can we make it better. Anybody else? And I'm also glad you asked because I think we have to talk about it. I think I know there are some people who are really upset. They feel like there's being an, an opportunity that's been stolen. But if we can do this right, we can create more opportunities on the backside and maybe better ones. Oh, uh, what's the average like? Five K for a lightweight at Cornell or right, Columbia. I don't know. I, I, I can guess at uh, Chris Kerber's uh, team scores, though. Uh, your, I'll give you, like, your split's going to be between 140 and 145. I hear a lot of, oh, <laughs> 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 over the, out there. Like, oh, gosh.
0: That sucks. That's, a, that's
2: tough. I mean, there, there will be three to five guys every year who could break 20 on a 6K.
1: What's the relationship between the girls and guys uh, on the program? Like, are they together? Are they very separate? Um, I think it, it depends on the year and it depends on the program a lot. For us right now, you know, our big slogan this year has been one Boat boathouse. Um, you know, we're, yes, we have Adrian men's and Adrian women's rowing, but at the end of the day, we're all Adrian rowing, right? We want both teams to be as successful as possible, Um you know, I've certainly, you know, at Wesleyan we rode in a situation where yes, we shared a boathouse, but it was very much men's rowing and women's rowing. I think it's I think it's great to have the teams more together. You know, it, it creates such a good atmosphere around around the boathouse where um, you know, it's not just one team, it's not in isolation, but it really feels like, you know, a whole culture between the two teams and there's more support for each other and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, for us it's 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 very connected.
0: Do you have that at Columbia?
1: I mean, we take
2: our two training camp trips with the women's team, and it is awesome. They are better because we're there together. That's great. It took, that takes work. I think for anybody, it's important to realize that that takes work, not just from the coaches, but also from the athletes. Like, they're committed to that. We have another one?
3: The erg plays a very significant role in high school rowing in terms of, as you had mentioned, gauging the power of the athlete as well as um, the recruitment process. But my question comes as to where does the erg play in college rowing? You've already jumped the window in terms of being recruited, but I would assume it doesn't stop there.
1: Um, For us, to some degree, it's a tool more than it's an important thing. Like, end of the day, it doesn't matter how fast an erg you pull if you can't do it on the water. It matters how fast you go on the water. So yes, we do a lot of erging, you know, especially, you know, for us where the lake is frozen for, you know, four months, you know, we can't be on the water constantly.
0: Well, you're not selling Adrian College very well. It's terrible.
1: But, um, you know, you can still get in good training. You can still get data from the erg. It's still very important, but maybe not in such a, it's have a fast 2K or nothing kind of way. You know, end of the day, it doesn't matter for selection. What matters for selection is, can you make my boat move faster than someone else can?
2: This is one of the reasons I've loved our kind of investment into using the RP3, because we can get a lot more data. And my, so where the erg plays in for us is what gets measured gets improved. And so we're looking to get more measurements out of the training sessions we're doing, not just the score, like, We are doing a ranking tomorrow based off of joules, right? How many joules are you producing? We're going to take your body weight, multiply it by 10. We're going to see how close you get to that, right? So we're doing different things to look at how can we use the erg, not just as a, don't tell us just how fast you went, but tell us about your stroke length. Tell us about the quality of your force profile. Is it consistent? Are you all over the place? Because if I know, I know that if you're a consistent performer, you're usually better in the boat. Because you're usually more reliable, and that helps everybody else be better if you are consistent.
1: And I also think it's, you know, one of the things we emphasize a lot is, like, when you're on the ERG, especially during that winter period when you're on the ERG a lot, um, rowing on the ERG the way you would on the water. You know, it's the biggest time when you form bad habits is when you're on the ERG for a long period of time and you just start getting a little lazy and trying to pull hard. You know, instead, row well, you know, go about it in a way where when you come back and are on the water again, you're doing exactly what you were doing before you got on the ERG. I
2: guess let me ask a question of you guys. Who feels that they can get the same burn on the water that they do on the ERG? Boy, crickets here. I love that. Yeah, not many. <laughs> it's hard. It's really, really hard. So part of doing the ERG training is pushing yourself physically so that you can spend more time developing the skill needed to get those things to level out.
0: When you get to the college level, I mean, you were saying at 15, 20 or more hours. I mean, you're going up against guys or women that are making it, the, making it their lives, right? So you have to put that time in. You have to work hard.
2: The time commitment is, I mean, if you are a college program and if you're an athlete training less than 500, 550 hours a year, it will be difficult for you to get into the grand final. That it, is, at least at the IRA. Um, I don't know about where that number is, maybe on D3. It may, it's. I'm sure that it's not the same this is the important part of figuring out like schools, like there's different tiers and kind of like where you're performing is still incredible achievements, but everything is relative.
0: Hmm. Well, I just want to say one thing to all you guys out there. Um, I don't remember my college experience, 20 years removed. I do remember the, the friendships and I have best friends from that era, but like I don't emphasize or focus on the winning so remember that, like when you're choosing a college or that choosing that next experience, it's not just about winning the IRA or trying to win the IRA. It's about finding the right culture and the right team and the right people because that's what you're going to carry for 20, 30, or 40 years.
2: I didn't start winning races in rowing until I'd been like, involved in rowing for over a decade. I was the biggest loser for the first decade of my rowing career. I Mess mean, I sucked. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was not that fast. But he's but a great I,
0: coach. He's a great coach, I, I promise. I mean, like,
2: had to, like, dig into it to learn. Like, I learned a lot from those losses, and I had made really good friendships, and I figured it out, and I decided oh, I want to be really good at this. And that, that like, pivoted. But, you know, it, and then it took a while to build a team that was ready to win, like, to get everybody else convinced. So there's so much that you can do in rowing that has nothing to do with winning that is incredible.
0: Yeah, you don't have to go to Yale. No. To, to find success in rowing. I saw a hand up somewhere. So I saw for the U19 national team this year for the ID camps, they changed testing to one one-minute
1: max watts piece and then three-by-ten-second max wattage. Why Why did they change that from the original 2K or 6K tests they have at these programs? And also, is that going to affect college recruiting in the coming years?
0: Well, I know someone in this room that can answer that really, really well. And I'm not sure if he wants to stand up and answer that question. Maybe he does. Um, yeah, it, um, you got to
2: The uh, Max Watts is just a different tool for us to look at, and we think it's going to be pretty impactful for younger kids who might not um, have figured out how to really execute a 2K yet, but can show us, man, this kid's got a lot of power. It um, doesn't equate to the score they're pulling now. They might be really good for this camp or that camp. Um, it's, just, it's just another tool we have to position people without making them feel like they have to perform and peak for this 2k this early in the season
0: so who's talking is uh he was the head he was the coach of the varsity eight women that won worlds this year in the summer and he's the head coach and director of chicago rowing foundation in chicago so he is the perfect person to answer that question i see another hand over here oh it's michael Wallen. sorry (laughs) We call him the commish, but he's Michael
3: Wallen. Uh, over there. Uh, kind of on the topic of 2Ks. It goes to everybody. What else 2Ks? <laughs>
1: I'll let you go. For it.
2: <laughs>
0: now? Your best. I think he wants your best.
2: Uh, I went, I never actually, the last 2K I did was like a 620. Uh in two thousand
1: eight. Uh I think six oh eight. Oh I was six oh eight. Um I it I got very stuck at six twenty for a long time and then when I first broke it it went six fourteen
0: immediately. Yeah, I said the exact same experience. What's your two K?
1: <laughs> no pressure. Oh no pressure. Uh,
0: <laughs> you went six oh eight? Okay. (laughs) I was like, wow. I was going
1: to say, come talk to me after this. Look, it took,
0: it, it took a long time. There's like, there's these, there's two gentlemen back there that are freaks of nature. This guy in front actually is a world record holder in the men's 500 and men's one minute, right? So we got some, some erg royalty here. Guys, it takes a long time to get good on the erg, right? And, I'm telling you, don't put so much pressure on it because I know every high school boy and girl puts a ton on it. Yes, it is a tool. Yes, it is a factor in recruiting. Um, But there's a story to every recruit, right? You just need to know how to tell your story.
1: And uh, a a thing that I forget who I was talking about it with recently, another, another college coach. The 2K is a measure of how fast you are on that day. Right, it's not a measure of how fast you are ever. It's a measure of where you are on that day. There are a million factors that affect a two k, and there's a million ways you can mess up a two k because it's long enough to do that. You know, you could not have gotten much sleep last night. You could have had a really tough class today. You could have not eaten the same amount, not drank the same amount, and all of that stuff plays a factor. So it's never a pure measurement of speed. It's a measurement of how good you were on that day, um, and you know that's the way we treat it. You know, when you come to two k. You know, one of the things we say after a 2K often, there's a lot of guys who are disappointed because they haven't hit the split that they envisioned hitting. They haven't hit exactly what they wanted to do. And, you know, it's, you ask them, well, how would you sleep last night? How much did you drink today? You know, what did you eat today? And a lot of the time the answer is, oh, well, I only got like four hours of sleep last night because I had a paper due or oh, I had two exams today. And it's like, OK, so why were you expecting to pull the fastest time you've ever pulled? You know, it's not realistic.
0: I would just say you need to become obsessed about it. It needs to become an obsession. And there's a lot of other factors in life when you're 16 that don't allow you to make it an obsession. So don't put too much pressure on it. Are there any other questions? Oh, we got a couple now.
2: Uh, So within your programs, like you said, your 2Ks don't really matter because you're all on that same training program. And so it's just another tool. So how do you evaluate with the high school kids coming in, like the team's, that practice twice a day, you know, and on Saturdays, you know, those kids will pull completely different scores than the ones who are only practicing once a day. So how do you factor that in? And then with the teams that are doing the two-a-days, and you get those recruits in, do you
1: see a higher level of burnout in those athletes in college than you do in the ones that are once a day in high school?
0: That's a great question.
1: Um, I think, you know, in terms of evaluation, you know, one of the things that we do all the time is, you know, Every session for the first three weeks will be different boats. You know, we won't have anything close to selection. And we just write down exactly who's in what boat and who's doing, who's doing what. And, you know, over the course of three, four, five weeks, you start noticing trends. You know, certain people are consistently in the winning boat. Certain people are consistently not. And I think the thing that's different, you know, kids who come from backgrounds where they've trained less in high school... There's just a steeper improvement curve. You know. I don't think it determines how you know, what their ceiling's going to be by any means. I think it just determines where they're starting at. And that's kind of what the 2K your senior year does as well. It determines what your starting point is. And from there, it depends on how well you train once you get here and, and how much you want to put into it.
2: So we run all of our testing based off of power. So when the guys walk in for a workout, it says, okay, you need to go Five minutes at 293 watts and then three minutes at 310 watts and then we have a three-minute rest and we're gonna do that five or six times and so they'll hit the watt target and what I'm looking at is I'm actually looking back to the heart rate data and being like well what's going on with the heart rate are we struggling to get it how's this moving so we're rather than saying how hard can you go give me specific I, I want specific targets And then I want to see how you're responding. I want to see how you do the next day. I want to see how your heart rate looks the next day on other workouts. So we're collecting information in a different way to try to be a little more specific in how we're developing our speed. And that's what we get really excited about kind of figuring out.
0: So the whole package of of being recruited, right? He was asking, do you take into account the team that does two a days versus one?
2: Got sidetracked. Yes, we will. You have to. You have to know that that's going to be
1: part of it. But Do you I- give
0: that kid the upper hand? If he's been luckily at a program like this versus a program like mainland?
1: I kind of almost would say the opposite where, you know, if you've got two kids coming in and they're both pulling 640, let's say, and one of them's been training twice a day and one of them's only been training once a day, the kid who's been training once a day and hit the same score is going to go a lot higher, a lot faster.
0: Do you see burnout? Sometimes. But you're 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 cognizant of that. You're you're watching that with your athletes. Have to be.
2: And I think that goes for anything right now. I think, you know, like pushing yourself to be an elite athlete in any sport while you're going through school is tough. And anybody who says, oh, it's like, you know, just like suck it up or whatever, like, uh, like come on, like it's hard. So we do have to be, like be engaged and we do want to talk to them because if you aren't kind of on the edge, if you don't hit that point in college where you're like, I'm like barely holding it together. Are you really doing it? Hmm. Like, you should be, like, pushing yourself to get to that point where you're like, okay, this is about as much as I can handle. And if I, like, push any more, I might snap. Like, you want to see how far you can bend without breaking. And that's what your coach is there to do. Help you find that. Not force you into it, not control you into it, but help you make the decision to do that yourself in a way that's, like, healthy and safe.
0: I saw more questions right back there. (laughs) There's one more kid back there I know. (laughs) You will will get your turn.
3: Uh, As former rowers and as coaches, how do you recognize, uh, maybe potential isn't the right word, but as Rich Kessler had mentioned, burnout. Um, How does a student gauge what they are capable of? You had mentioned earlier that anybody can reach 630, but some people have to do harder training than others. um, And I recognize that. But... Um, like plateaus, that would be another thing that uh, I mix into this question, plateaus and burnouts and all that. How do you truly get to where you can reach and what you want to reach?
1: I, I think the first thing is plateaus are a normal part of training. Progress is not a linear thing, right? You're not going to start training and just go like this, right? You're going you're gonna to go up and down. You're going to have days where you don't go as fast, even if you're training hard. You're going to have days where you know, or weeks where or months where you're not really making any improvement. That's part of the training process. You never see a linear progression. Burnout, I think, is a little different. You know, recognizing it is a lot about knowing your athlete, you know, and that's where having those conversations both with the recruit before they arrive and also once they arrive um, is really important. So you know them, you know what they're like when they are engaged and when they are feeling it so that you can notice okay, they're not acting the way they would normally at practice. They're not behaving the way I would expect them to under this workload.
0: I smile a lot. So if I'm not smiling, I'm in a bad place. And I learned that my sophomore year of college, that I was just in a really negative space. But then one thing that rowing teaches you is be persistent and consistent, and I got out of that, and I'm still training today. And I'm going to be racing, hopefully, very soon. But if you're not smiling... Notice that. Coaches notice that, too. And if you're having a really bad time, you might need a little bit of a break.
2: All right, so after going through the whole recruiting process, what would you recommend someone would do, like getting ready for going on to a college team and getting with the team after that? Uh, I would suggest... If you know where you're going, you talk to the coach about and you say, hey, you know, what's it going to take for me to be a competitive member of this team in the fall? And when you and I'm, I'm, I'm literally giving you the phrase, what's it going to take for me to be a competitive member of the team? Because then rather than asking, what do I need to do? What you're actually starting to do is have a conversation with the coach about what do what do we need to do? And that's the most important part of like that relationship building and preparation is that you start having a back and forth dialogue that's going to help you get there.
1: And I think that the biggest thing you can do to help yourself is make sure you row over that summer. You know, like you see so many guys um, arrive in college or arrive back, you know, their sophomore year or their junior year or whenever in worse shape than they left off last year. And that's the worst place you can be in because you spend the first three weeks trying to just get back to a position where you can train again and having a miserable experience because you're unfit as opposed to showing up, being in good shape and just being able to hit the ground running and start.
2: Because it also tells me something about you if you show up that far out of shape. You've just told me something about who you are as an athlete, who you are as a teammate, where your commitment level is. Now, you may also need to come in and say, hey, here's what's going on. Like, oh man, okay, that helps me know that like you didn't just show up out of shape. You had these things going on for the last two months, and we're just I'm just learning about them now. So that's why all those things really important to have the conversation.
1: Exactly, you know, like personal anecdote for me. I showed up to college in the worst shape of my entire life, but it was because I'd been sick for the last three months. You know, and it's very easy to have not had that conversation, both as a coach and as the rower. You know, the coach is not gonna necessarily know that right away they're just going to know you showed up out of shape it's partly on you as the rower as the recruit to come in and say coach here's what's been going on for me like I want to tell you what's been happening
0: hindsight's 2020 but um, senior year of college I really enjoyed partying and I went back into winter training like 10 pounds heavier and it was the worst five months ever so you can do a, a lot by just doing a little right Stay in shape, but also enjoy your summer a little bit. Like go out for fun singles in a, in a single or a double or just enjoy rowing because rowing is going to get hard when you get to college. Like they're not going to tell you that. I can tell you that. It's going to be difficult and challenging. So be a little bit prepared and smile. Any other questions? No? <laughs> He's good. Well, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Appreciate it. You guys, thank you very much. I'm Alex Del Ciro. I'm Alex Del Ciro. I'm Alex Del Ciro. And we have, we have Jess just Eddie. Eddie. It's Eddie Sauer. Needed to France. He's Eric Marie. He's it's Mahe Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Henson. Thank you for being here.